You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that you have given to us an eternal word. You have given us your Son. As we reflect now upon his words to us, strengthen us and grow us by your grace that we might ever more fittingly give witness to him and follow faithfully after him. We ask this in his name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. So today's gospel reading during this Reformation month is proof that while we are very proud that we're Lutherans, we think it's a good way to be a Christian, a faithful way to be a Christian, it's proof that Jesus was no Lutheran. That he didn't go to a Lutheran finishing school for learning how to preach. See, when you go to a Lutheran finishing school, this is how they teach you to preach. There's two aspects to God's Word. There's His law and there's His gospel. Now, the law is any word from the Bible that makes us know our need, makes us know the distance we have fallen short This is not the Ten Commandments per se, because the law can be found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's whenever God makes us know we haven't measured up, and consequently we know our need for a Savior, and that is the Gospel. The Gospel is that God has provided that Savior, that God's grace is sufficient, that while our deeds may not be enough, Christ's deeds are more than enough. Now, Jesus is not a, didn't, clearly didn't go to a Lutheran preaching school because he flips the law and the gospel. So you're supposed to do the, the law first so that you know your need for the gospel and everyone leaves church on a high and happy note. But Jesus today starts with the gospel. Starts with his parable of how faithful God is. How good God is. You'll misunderstand the parable if you think that Jesus is drawing an analogy between the unrighteous judge and God. That's not what he's doing. He's saying that if even an unrighteous judge who doesn't care for God or man, if even that person will do the right thing if you badger him long enough, how do you think the good God is going to respond to your requests? The good news Jesus is preaching to us today is that God is ever more ready to help than we are ready to ask. Because we often ask ourselves, will God ever help? Will God give what we need? And Jesus' answer is yes, more abundantly than you could possibly imagine. More faithfully than you could ever imagine. 
But we tend to flip things. Human beings have always done this. We think it's our place to question God. Jesus flips it at the end of his parable when he says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He's essentially saying to us, God's not the one on trial. You are. So will God find faith when he returns? And this is a rhetorical question because Jesus is looking at his apostles who will all apostatize at the cross. And he looks around and he's he's saying, I don't see it now. Will I see it then? (laughs) The difficult saying of Jesus. We are not home on the range because this is clearly a discouraging word. We are meant to be questioning our faith and whether it's genuine because what Jesus is looking for is lives that are lived in faith where the actions of that life seem to be proceeding from this core conviction that the apostles say they have. He's looking for the same from us. And in this month when we celebrate the Reformation that may make you ask so is it faith plus works? Did we get it wrong? Has this been a 500-year experiment in idiocy? No, no. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is actually pretty clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works that none may boast. But what works are is evidence that our faith is alive. As the Apostle James says in his letter, While we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by a life of striving to grow more and more into the thing we've been called to be. Because, see, God isn't just saving us from hell. He is saving us for His kingdom. We are called to be full inheritors of the kingdom of God. As the small print would say if we had a membership card with all the responsibilities and rights appertaining thereto. (laughs) And that's going to require of us great character. The book of Hebrews goes into this at length. So, while we are saved by God's grace, He calls us and challenges us to grow into, as it says later in the book of Ephesians, the full stature of Christ. Now, I'm only going to speak for myself here. But the distance between where I am and the full stature of Christ is a long journey. Every time I'm cut off in traffic, I am reminded how distant that journey is yet. (laughs) So there is always a new challenge from Scripture. Not because God is so demanding, but because I'm so far fallen. If I get over my apathy, then I have to get over my sloth. And once I've tackled my sloth, well then, you know, greed and lust and all those other ones keep coming into you. Finally, when you tackle everything, then you've got to deal with pride because you did so well in the others, right? (laughs) 
And today's reading from the New Testament, 2 Timothy, is especially challenging because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are letters from one pastor to another pastor. This is very specific kind of advice. While there are certainly things applicable to the whole of the Christian life, for these three letters, it's like, hey, pastors, take notice. And according to Paul, as he's instructing his young protege, Timothy, what he's supposed to do is to rebuke. And I had it earlier. What's the first? Re- Exhort and re- correct is the other. One. It's, it's reprove in, in this this translation. It's reprove, rebuke, and, and exhort. See, reprove, rebuke, and exhort are not the kind of things that people give you cards saying best pastor ever for. <laughs> I'm supposed to correct people when they're wrong. I'm supposed to rebuke them. It means call them up short when they're running crazy. And then exhort. Tell people, you're not trying hard enough. Go, go, go. This is never, it's never my favorite moment when a coach was yelling at me to do another lap. And I'm sure it's not anyone's favorite moment when I, as the pastor, have to say those things. And then when people get angry at me and I understand why, I'm supposed to receive that with complete patience. have a long distance to go to reach the full stature of Christ. Different seasons of our life will raise up new challenges for us. And those new challenges will give us the opportunity to grow. What is your challenge in this season? What's the challenge that's right in front of you at this moment as the chief thing? Because the fullness of the stature of Christ is such a big goal, it can seem like, how do I even get started? God's usually pretty concrete and gives us something to work on. But that wrestling with God is worth it. As I said to the kids in the children's sermon, this story from Genesis is probably the most famous wrestling match in history. The name Jacob means liar or trickster. I encourage you to read the preceding chapters of Genesis to find out all the ways he pulls the wool over people's eyes. He is on the run for his life on the night this wrestling match happens. And as a result of wrestling with God and man, he's given a new name, the name Israel, which means he who wrestles with God, a title of honor. And when we in our lives wrestle with God, when we hear those words from Scripture we didn't want to hear and are challenged to, instead of explaining them away, grow into the fullness of what they mean, at the end of a lifetime of wrestling in that way, I'm giving away the end of the book here, but I, I flipped to Revelations. And for those who stand fast, those who overcome, we are given a new name. We see the Lord giving a stone on which is written a precious name that only the Lord and the person who receives the stone know. It's our true name. The name that we will bear in honor in eternity forever. 
as inheritors of God's kingdom. It's a high and mighty destiny. And so, if it seems like a great challenge, it's because the reward is equally great. In fact, more than we could imagine. Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first person to climb Mount Everest, said this, he said, you start by thinking you're going to conquer a mountain, but you end up realizing what you conquer is yourself. We will conquer the old Adam through our wrestling with God and enter into his kingdom more and more in the likeness of the Christ who has reclaimed us from the dead. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Jesus, we thank you that when all our righteous deeds were like filthy rags, as the prophet Isaiah said, your righteous deeds were more than enough. That you thereby conquered sin, death, and the devil by your faithfulness. And now by our trust in you, we too may conquer in turn. Strengthen us. Bless us. Make us turn to you as our ever-ready help in trouble. Help us to lean into your grace and so be transformed, overcoming the passions that would lead us to seek teachers of our own desiring who will affirm us in our sin and turning toward you who have a much better destiny in store for us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.